If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ruth. If you're new to the Bible, that's the eighth book in the Bible, or you can just Google the book of Ruth, and we continue our journey through this incredible story. And as we work our way through this historic narrative, we learn about the hope that God brings to the world. And we learn that by watching how God brought hope to and through a woman named Ruth, who in our passage today displays remarkable commitment, and it's all connected to hope. And as we learn this morning about hope and her commitments, we desire to learn about hope and our commitments. Let me read Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 to 18. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Friends, this is the word of God. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truths of this powerful story of commitment and faithfulness. And may it lead us to see your commitment and your faithfulness to us that we might in turn become faithful and committed to others. May your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us. Whether we're new Christians, not yet Christians, or those who have been a part of the church for many years, we pray that you would speak to us anew and afresh. We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Well, it's been said that commitment is doing the thing you said you were going to do 
long after the mood you set it in has left you. It's the kind of inspiring statement you would expect to find in an epic movie about commitment. Although when I googled films about commitment, most of them are about dogs. <laughs> Which maybe tells us something about humans. <laughs> because we all know what it's like when we've made a commitment and then later on when the mood has left us, we find it hard to follow through. In that moment of motivation, you made a grand pledge to help your friend only to change your mind a few weeks later. You intended to get involved in a community like this, but the desire faded as the weeks went by. Or you made a promise to take care of something for your spouse or your family member, but the busyness of your job somehow became more important. We all know that commitment can be an issue. And for some of us, the issue is found in what we're really committed to. Some of you might say this morning, I don't have any commitment issues. I've been committed to myself since the day I was born. <laughs> or as I often say about coffee, I am not addicted. I'm just in a committed relationship. But for many of us, it's the fear of commitment altogether. And maybe for some of us, our struggle to commit to others is due to the fact that many people have not been committed to us. And we carry the hurt of unmet expectations. Some of us this morning, let's be honest, we carry the hurt and wounds of abandonment. This may be our commitment issue. You might even think this morning, well, the church hasn't been committed to me. My friends haven't been committed to me. My spouse hasn't been committed to me. Why should I be committed to other people? These may be our commitment issues. But friends, I would like to suggest today that it is also one of our greatest opportunities. Because listen, in a world of betrayal and abandonment and disappointment, God himself is able to heal us and to transform us to be a radically countercultural people of commitment in a non-committal world. And it is the hope that we have in him that makes this all possible, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of other people letting you down, even in the midst of unmet expectations. And that is what we find in the book of Ruth. Faithful, hope-driven commitment. In fact, there is a special Hebrew word for it. It's the word hesed. And it is used three times in this short book. We see it in the beginning, we see it in the middle, and we see it at the end. And when we see it here in chapter one, we can draw out three lessons that are key for us if we are going to be transformed by hope into a people of commitment. So today, friends, whether you're here or you're joining us online, I want us all to take this to heart because this issue is massive. I want us to see this morning why commitment matters, how commitment works, and what commitment costs. 
The first lesson is this. Why does commitment matter? Naomi is an Israelite widow. She's living in a time of social and religious chaos. She left her homeland of Israel for another land, the land of Moab, who happened to be the historic enemy of Israel. This is the land that hated the people of Israel. But she left there in the hope of finding food because there was a famine in Israel at the time. And though she left with her family and she did find food, she eventually lost her husband. And 10 years later, she lost her two sons. She is now a widow in a foreign land. And as you read the story, you're meant to think, what will she do? Where will she go? And who will go with her? I bring this up because in many ways, Naomi's situation reflects ours. Commitment matters because the people around us, whether you realize it or not, are in need of help and in need of hope. Help and hope that we can participate in bringing to other people. Help and hope that others can participate in bringing to us. And in Naomi, we see that her need for commitment Loyalty, faithfulness, it was both practical and it was spiritual. She needed help and she needed hope. You see, it was her need for practical help that actually drew her attention back to the land of Israel, her true home. That word home is used several times in this book and it's used intentionally. We see in verse six, it says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord came to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home where she belonged. See, the people of Israel, if you read through the Bible, you quickly learn that they were to remain in this land even when it was hard because that was the place that enabled them to receive the blessings of God. Oftentimes, many of us, we say, God, why don't you bless me? God, please bless me with my needs. But we should also pray, God, keep me blessable. Keep me in the position where I actually am open to receiving from you, open to hearing from you. The people of Israel were to remain in the land even when it was hard. And the same is true for us all. We've all turned away from God. The Bible calls it sin. In the expectation that we could find our help and our hope apart from God. That's the problem with humanity. Instead of God, we look to find our hope in romantic relationships, a career, financial security, whatever it might be. Even if it's a good thing, we're looking there to give us our ultimate hope. But the Bible says we need to turn back and find that our true home is in God. He's always drawing our attention to himself. And when she hears news that bread was provided in her land, it was the news of God providing help that prompted her to return home. And she did not go alone. She needed practical and relational help. It says in verse seven, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And as the story unfolds, we have these two other women that take the stage. Her two daughters-in-law, also widows, Orpah and Ruth. And at first, they both kindly go with her, but strangely, She tries to convince them to leave. 
And her speech in verses 8 through 13 reveal another reason why commitment matters. We not only need help, we need hope. For we quickly learn that Naomi, like many of us, have very little. It says in verse 11 through 13, Naomi said, oh, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? She says, I can't give you a family. It's better just to go back to your own home. They were from Moab, the, the land of idolatry. And yet, ironically, this woman of faith who knew the true and living God is trying to convince them to go back to Moab. Even though Naomi heard this news of help, she is still in need of hope. To put it simply, Naomi has very low expectations of other people and ultimately of God. She cannot replace their husbands. She's certainly too old to provide husbands for them. Add to that that Orpah and Ruth would be considered, considered foreigners in the land of Israel. They were Moabites. But this is the depressed state of mind that she has, and it reveals a deeper sense of her low expectation of God. And it says that in verse 13. She says, no, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She was convinced of that. It wasn't true, as the story will show, but she was convinced that God was against her. Friends, how many of us this morning have a Naomi in our lives? Someone who's convinced that the hand of God is against them, and this could be an opportunity for you to provide help and point towards hope. But how many of us are like Naomi? I can certainly relate with her at many times in my life. Like, God, you're against me. And we're in that state where we expect very little from God, very little from others. And so as a result of that, she encourages them to go back to the false pagan gods of Moab. How many of us have been there? God, you're not gonna come through for me, so I'm gonna find somewhere else to go. I want you to see why commitment matters. We have an opportunity to come alongside people like her and commit to helping her find hope in the right place. And for Naomi, this person was actually right in front of her. So like Naomi, we need to find our hope in God. And like Ruth, we need to commit to helping others find this hope. Now you might ask, well, what does commitment look like? Like, what does that have to do with me? How does that work out practically? Well, that leads to the second point here. We need to know first that commitment matters. But secondly, we need to know how commitment works. And we see that in verses 14 through 16 in this woman named Ruth. What does it look like to be committed to the other people around us? Well, we begin to see how this kind of commitment works when we look at this woman. And there are two characteristics that I want to point out. Hear this. Commitment, the real kind of commitment this world needs to see, flows from a powerful blend of compassion and conviction. If we're going to be a people of commitment, we need both compassion and conviction. And we see both in Ruth. And we need both in us if we're going to be this kind of a people. First, what do I mean by that? And what do we see here? This commitment that Ruth makes, first of all, it flows out of compassion. What's happening here in the story? Ruth hears her mother-in-law. She's a widow. She herself is a, a widow. And she sees all that Naomi is, is saying 
and experiencing in her life. And in fact, she is so moved by it that they all weep together. In verse 14, it says, at this, as they heard what Naomi was experiencing, they wept aloud together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Friends, I want us to see how real and raw this story is. Because compassion must motivate our commitments. That our hearts are breaking for the needs in front of it. I was once told that to understand means to stand under. You're welcome. As an old teacher, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. To understand, stand under. But I love that picture because that's often what it feels like. When, some, when someone is sharing with you difficulties in their life, you begin to feel the weight of it. That's compassion. You begin to share that, that burden. I think of the words describing the Lord Jesus in the gospel accounts when he saw the crowds and he saw that they were in need. He was moved with compassion. He saw their state. Friend, when he sees you, the Lord Jesus Christ is moved with compassion. He sees and he knows what you're going through. And I do believe that one of the reasons why we don't often commit to helping the needs of others is because we have not felt the weight of what they're going through. And one way to cultivate this compassion is by listening well. But it doesn't end there. This kind of commitment doesn't only flow from compassion, but also conviction. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, do I just commit to everyone and to anything? Of course not. Commitment flows from conviction. Real commitment is based on truth. A conviction about what is good, a conviction about what is actually right. And sometimes that means disagreeing with the very person that you are trying to help. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. See, Ruth was committed to Naomi. She was understanding and compassionate. But notice, Ruth does not agree with Naomi's advice. She actually pushes back in verse 16, 15, and 16. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Why don't you go with her? But Ruth says, no, never. Like she disagrees with Naomi. She says, don't tell me to, to leave you. I'm gonna stay. So friends, what I want you to see here is really important. Being committed does not mean blind loyalty. Well, if I'm committed to these people, I guess I have to do whatever they say. No, sometimes it might mean disagreeing. If you have a friend or family member who's in self-destructive behavior, being committed to them would not be to enable them, here, have some more substance so you can abuse yourself. Of course not. Being committed to them for their good may mean in that moment, or definitely means in that moment, disagreeing with them. No, I love you. I'm gonna tell you otherwise. It's not blind loyalty. Nor does commitment mean being a doormat. See, some of us, we feel that we're afraid of commitment because we felt as if we were a doormat. And our commit, in our commitments, we've allowed some people to walk all over us. But listen, it's actually not loving to make it easy for people to sin against you. And the sister says amen in the front because we've all been there. We've all been there. It's actually unloving to make it easy for people to sin against you. Sometimes the most committed and loving thing to do is to put up boundaries. 
if it's in destructive situations. So please understand, being a committed person does not mean blind loyalty, nor does it mean being a doormat and just allowing the other person to do what they want. No, this kind of commitment is both filled with compassion and conviction. It's understanding and it is honest. And why? Because Ruth's commitment is based on truth. As we will soon discover, Ruth came to know the true and living God. And so to listen to Naomi's advice to go back to the false gods of Moab would be wrong. And so out of conviction, she says no. Friends, this is so important. Please notice that it is our convictions from God that should govern our commitments to people. I'm gonna say it again. Our convictions from God should govern our commitments to people. Our commitments should never be at the expense of truth. Being committed to other people means being committed to what is truly their good. Now, practically, where do we start? We might be saying, okay, I get that, but like, what do I do with that? Well, here's my encouragement. Look at the relationships right in front of you. Look at the people that God has already put in your life and look at those relationships through the lens of this kind of biblical commitment. Now, important, important clarification. Different relationships call for different levels of commitment. I'm not saying they're all the same. You're gonna be committed like Ruth was to a family member in a different way than you might be committed to someone in the larger community. And that's very important to make the distinction. I'm not saying that they're all the same. I'm not saying that you go to your community group this week and you say to the 25 people in your room, like, where you go, I will go and I will die with you. Ah! Like, okay, settle down. We need to be discerning. Look at what God has placed in front of you. Look at the time and the resources that he's given you. And then ask the Lord, what would it look like for me to be a person of commitment? Now, for those of you who are like classic overcommitters, anyone? No, don't, don't, don't raise a hand. That'd be embarrassing. What I'm not saying today is now you gotta go commit to a thousand different things. That might be bad stewardship. Listen, everyone is not called to commit to everything, but everyone is, is called to commit to something. Our family. What does it look like to renew our commitment to our family members? For the church, what does it look like to renew our commitment to the church, to our friends? Listen, I know we're all busy, but make sure that we're not using busyness as an excuse not to demonstrate one of the most wonderful characteristics of God, which is steadfast love. And practically, I can't help but to think of this season, how the last year has just been crazy and everything stopped. But now as things begin to, to kind of reopen, this is an important moment for us to think, how do I renew my commitments in this season? So even as a church, I think about what does it look like to be committed? Where do I need to make new commitments? As you heard earlier, an announcement for a need that we have in our, in our church to serve our children. Maybe God is calling you to commit there. Maybe he's calling you to commit in a community group. Maybe he's calling you to commit in another areas of, of service in our church. This is an important time for us to pray through that and to think through that. Maybe this is a time to renew old commitments. 
Man, yeah, I'm generally committed to that. Maybe it's, it's, it's your spouse, it's your marriage. You just need to renew that, that commitment, that vow that you've made. Or, or to a friend who's in need, just to renew that sense of commitment. Or maybe you're committed to the wrong things. Maybe you're committed to your own comfort and your own pleasure above the needs of others. That commitment needs to, to go. Use this time to ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to be a person of commitment? We don't have to commit to everything, but Lord, with what you've given me and where you've placed me, what would it look like for me to be a faithful person? Now, I know that's a big deal. Where does it come from? Well, where does this compassion and conviction come from? Well, we look at Ruth again, this compassion and conviction, they go far beyond just affection for her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is a turning of her heart towards God. Friends, Ruth chapter one is a picture of Ruth's conversion. The term turning is used in the Old Testament as a picture of conversion, and it's used here about 11 times in the book of Ruth. And she declares it publicly when she says, your God will be my God. She understood that allegiance to God meant identifying with his people. Far be it from her to abandon them. And so as the people of God, we are called to show great commitment and faithfulness because he is a God of commitment and he calls us to show it. So if God is calling someone into my life or it's gonna involve some kind of commitment, even to those who may not deserve it even to those who may not appreciate it. And that leads to the last thing. What does commitment cost? Notice at the end of Ruth's pledge, her epic speech, that she counts the cost of her commitment. She embraces the risk. She says, hey, I know there's gonna be sacrifice, but I'm going. But I also want you to notice that Naomi doesn't even acknowledge it. Have you ever noticed that? Like, Ruth's like, oh, I'm gonna go with you no matter what, I'm even gonna die. And Naomi's like, huh. Well, let's go then. <laughs> oh, how many of us have been there? You're like, hey, I've done all this stuff for you. And like, oh, did you? I didn't notice. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, see, more often than not, your commitment and your kindness and faithfulness will often go unnoticed, undervalued, and unappreciated. And maybe some of you are struggling with bitterness right now because that's how you felt. That's when it's hard. But these are important moments because it shows that you are not in it for you. In many cases, we discard commitment the minute that it becomes difficult, but it only really shows that we are really committed to ourselves. To love others who appreciate and celebrate your commitment is normal, but to show love and faithfulness when people don't deserve it is extraordinary. And she says there in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She goes even farther. She says, I'm gonna commit my life so that she has a hope. Again, this is a unique relationship. This is a family member. But it's powerful nonetheless. Ruth is essentially tying her life to Naomi. Look at what she's risking in commitment. She's risking remaining a widow. She's risking her life to remain in a foreign land. She's risking being rejected in that land. Now, many immigrants risk making their way to a foreign land, but usually it's with the chance of a better life. But not so with Ruth. She even goes so far as to say with an oath, may God deal with me in verse 17, be it ever so severely, even if death separates me from you. Now, why would she do this? 
Why would she commit to one who doesn't deserve it? Listen, friends. Because she knew that God committed to her even though she didn't deserve it. That's why. She was a Moabite. She did not deserve to go to the land of Israel. She had no claim on God. But she knew and she learned that God, the true and living God, is a God of kindness, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. She knew that God, though he allowed famine for a time, had also visited Bethlehem with bread. And friends, what I want you to hear this morning is the lesson is not just be like Ruth. While Ruth is a wonderful example of commitment, it is not until the New Testament that we see the ultimate commitment. Because what is hinted at in Ruth actually appears in the gospel. God would once again visit Bethlehem with bread. But this time it would be with the bread of life. The Son of God coming into our world, Jesus Christ, to show the most surprising commitment of all. The commitment of Jesus Christ to sinners like us. And when he came, he traveled into adversity, to this sinful and broken world, to show commitment to the hopeless, to the unappreciative. And he didn't just risk being rejected, he was rejected on the cross, where he paid for all of my sin, where he paid for all of your sin. Jesus loved us so much that he said, more than Ruth, when he was on the cross, may the worst punishment come upon me so that I can bring them home. Isn't that incredible? That's the gospel. Christ took the curse for our sinfulness and unfaithfulness so that we might enjoy his faithfulness forever. Jesus faced the rejection that we deserve so that we could get the commitment that he deserves. Jesus was so committed that he tied himself to our future, the future that we deserved, which was judgment, so that we could get the future that he deserves, which is everlasting life. So if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus, if you hadn't said yes to Jesus being your savior, know this. He was so committed to saving your life that he gave up his when he died for your sins on the cross. And he rose again on the third day to give you everlasting life forever. My invitation to you is trust in him today. And if you've been hurt by the failures of others, always remember the faithfulness of Jesus to you. Remember him and forgive them today. And if you have failed to show commitment to others, remember that Christ has taken the curse for you. He forgives you and he gives you a fresh start today. So I wanna ask you this as we prepare to pray and to respond in worship. Three simple questions I want you to ask God. What commitments need to stop? What things am I doing right now are wrong? I'm just committed to the wrong things. What commitments need to start? And what commitments need to stay? I invite you to ask God those questions. Yes, I know that commitment costs, but when it does, always remember that it costs Jesus infinitely more so that you could know that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. So look at the gospel and say, God is so committed to me that he empowers me to learn to be committed to others. 
Because friends, the gospel is not an inspiring quote about commitment that you read on Instagram. It is a life-changing relationship of commitment, a relationship with God based on his commitment to you. That's where we find grace. That's where we find power. That's where we find the ability. That's where we find the forgiveness. That's where we find the encouragement. That is where we find the perspective. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your commitment to us. Thank you that you have revealed it fully. What's hinted at in Ruth, we see fully and ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is so committed to us that he came and lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we should have died and rose again to give us everlasting life. Father, if there's anyone here in this parking lot or watching online who does not yet know you and has not yet trusted you for forgiveness, I pray that right now they would. And friend, if that is you in this attitude of prayer, if that's you and you're watching online or if you're here in the parking lot and you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you to do that right now. Just say from your heart, Jesus I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again to give me everlasting life. I trust you as my savior. Forgive me, accept me. Friend, if that's you, pray that right now. Jesus, save me. And experience from this moment forgiveness and a new relationship with him. And Father, for us as a church, I pray that you would heal us of any wounds, of the lack of commitment of others. May that not keep us from being faithful to others because you have been faithful to us. So right now, as we ask you what commitments need to start and stop or stay, I pray that you'd heal us, God. I pray that you'd transform us on the spot by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, this is a time that we have in our service that is designed so that we don't just rush past this moment. I know the sun is shining. I know there's a lot of things to do, but this is a sacred moment where we don't move too quickly on. And I invite you as the band is leading us that we ask those questions of the Lord. What what is it that he wants to renew or stop or even begin in your life today? Just acknowledge the presence of God is here by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's here. He loves you. And he wants you to gaze upon his faithfulness to you because that's what heals you, amen? Amen. His faithfulness is what heals you and sends you out. So let's experience that healing anew and afresh. If you need prayer, there are men and women to my right and to my left. They're wearing the shirts. They're by the signs that say prayer team. They've got the lanyards on. Be courageous. Get up out of your chair and walk through the parking lot and say, I need prayer. I need healing. I need renewal of commitment. I invite you to do that. And for us all, let's worship together and gaze upon the one who is faithful, who alone makes us faithful. Let's do that now.